Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. This is episode five. My name is Tim. I am your host. Uh, this week, Nicodemus learns what does it mean to be born again in John chapter three. Uh, you're even going to get a bit of a story time from me. So sit back, relax, and listen to Steve's teaching of John chapter three. Nicodemus comes. Um, and so, yeah, John 3, 1 to 12. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, I assure you, Unless someone is born again, some of your scriptures would say born from above, uh, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can you enter? Uh, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, "I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God." Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I've told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, I assure you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about things of heaven? And it was kind of hard to stop there because we could just develop this all night. But Nicodemus is a leader of the old order. He, he represents the old order, and we see this very clearly throughout John's Gospel. But we see this old order guy on the beginning of a journey. In fact, he shows up again in, uh, uh, I think it's chapter 7, he shows up again at Jesus' burial. John is taking us on that journey with Nicodemus, as it were, that Paul calls the flesh, the natural man, to the spiritual man. And that's really what this gospel is about. It's about moving into the whole realm, the things of the spirit, the heavenly realm. Um, I'm quoting from uh, Romans chapter 2 in the message. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. This is what this chapter is about. It's interesting. Remember I told you that you need to pay attention to, to phrases, to repeated themes, to words. He doesn't waste a single word. And... Uh, it's an interesting phrase in verse 2 where Nicodemus says, We know. Religious tradition is sure of its knowledge. 
And it's comfortable within the confines of that knowledge. And that is true now and it was true then. It's interesting because last week we read about Nathaniel, Jesus talking to Nathaniel and seeing you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. But if you look at John 1 verse 26, John the Baptist speaking prophetically says, you don't know to them. He says, you don't know him. And Nicodemus came to Jesus as rabbi. Uh, it was a term of respect, and of course we know it means teacher. But I think that there's some, some things as we see this progression. Uh, rabbi is a natural man perception. You see a guy, he's a great teacher, so you call him teacher. It really doesn't take a lot of revelation for that. So we're seeing him representing again this natural man. A natural man wants confirmation of its assumptions. He's making assumptions. You must be from God, I'm assuming, because of what you do. Natural man makes assumptions. John shows us again the process, which we talked about last week, from rabbi to lord. It's fascinating. This is just as an aside, but... There's several examples in the Gospels. For me, the clearest is in uh, Matthew 26, where uh, the Last Supper, and everyone's referring to Jesus. They just spent three, three and a half years with him, referring to him as Lord, 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 except for one person. Who's that? Judas. And when he betrays him, he says, Hail, Rabbi. So we're seeing here this process going on. We get to kind of watch it happen with Nicodemus. And now Jesus starts to say things that to, to the natural man are very enigmatic. They're kind of mysterious. He says to Nicodemus, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom. Well, number one, I believe profoundly that we have minimized being born again and turned it into praying a prayer, a sinner's prayer. That's nowhere in the Bible. We have no record of anything resembling a sinner's prayer until the beginning of the 19th century. We said, if you pray the prayer, you're born again. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus that being born from above means receiving life from another reality. That's what unfolds here. Um, it's, it's the term that I love is heaven now. I think Jesus brought heaven now. When, when I take teams, when we take teams to, to various nations, I teach our team, you are releasing heaven right here and now. You're connecting heaven to earth. And that's what I think being born from above is an awareness of this other realm and beginning to move in the reality and power of that. The second thing, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom. I told you before, this word is strong and thematic all the way through John's gospel. See literally is to perceive. In the very next chapter, um, lift up your eyes and perceive. 435, lift up your eyes and see. There's <coughs> a continuous movement in John to raise our seeing to the heavenly realm. And then he says, again, but he, he amplifies it a bit, 
verse 5, he says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a consistent gospel witness through the three synoptic gospels, through John. There is a repentance. We see, we see this gospel opens with John the Baptist calling people to repentance. We see it in the synoptics, calling them to repentance. Repentance, you probably know, doesn't mean crying at the altar. Though that might happen. The word is metanoia, and it means changing the way you think, changing the way you perceive even. Okay? And um, he says, unless, unless uh, you are uh, born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You've got to repent. You've got to be thinking in a new way. And you've got to be baptized. That's also very, very consistent. And it stays consistent right through Acts to be baptized. Now, the, the church has historically taught that there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit at baptism. I got saved in the middle of the charismatic movement, the Jesus people movement that went up the West Coast in the 70s. And the big question we all had as charismatics were, have you been baptized in the Spirit? Um, a few of you are nodding. So you, you remember that. That was the big question. I don't, you know, it was the best terminology we had then, but I don't think it's very helpful. I don't think it's very accurate. Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe with all my heart that there is something that happens in baptism. This is why whenever I baptize people, and you know, over the years I've had opportunity, who knows how many hundreds, I always have a prophetic team there to pray for them. And I always pray for an infilling of the Spirit, which I think just happens at baptism. So if, if that happens at baptism, then what is Pentecost about? What's, what's Acts 2 about? Where suddenly they, the mighty rushing wind. And then if that's the initial filling of the Spirit, and that's what the baptism is, then what's Acts chapter 4? When the very same people, once again, are filled with the Spirit. I think this. I think that, that we must be born of water and the Spirit, and that is that when we are baptized... Uh, th that there is a spiritual transaction that happens. That we, there is a filling of the Spirit. Um, I'll talk a little more about that later. But there also is these multiple infillings or encounters or overpowering or whatever term that you want. The two are not mutually exclusive. It's interesting that he reemphasizes the need for the life of the Spirit. You've got, this is what it is to be born again. And then he says in verse 6, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. And, and John sets up all kinds of contrasts through his gospel. You see it all the time. It, it's, it's, a, it, it's almost a dualism or a dialectic. There's this and there's this. And, and what are you going to choose? You know, you must have this. Or you're, or you're going to have that. <laughs> and so what, what is happening here is he's giving us this divide between the natural and the spiritual. Now, the, the flesh, John doesn't use that word to mean drinking and smoking and going to movies or whatever our version is. 
What he's talking about is the universal human frailty and mortality. And he says either that's the realm or whatever is spirit is spirit. And spirit is the Holy Spirit's divine power and life that is operating in this realm and breaking into this realm all the time. He gives us choices, John does. Jesus does, as John records it. So this was a major theme for Paul with the early church. I would say it's a major theme. If you start looking all the way through Paul's letters, uh, oh, you foolish Galatians, Galatians 3, you know, you began in the spirit, how did you get into the flesh? Uh, the writer of the Hebrews in uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 22, um, 1 John, all the way through, we are a people of the spirit. Um, so, this is what knowing is. Knowing isn't what Nicodemus says, factual knowing. We know the facts. Knowing is perceiving. It is, it is this contrast between understanding and knowing the greater realm. Or not. He says, it's not both, it's one or the other. Today's episode is brought to you by The Journey, 35 Stories of Kingdom Encounters. If you haven't yet read this book, I would highly recommend it. In addition to being a great Bible teacher, Steve Stewart is a masterful storyteller. The Journey is a collection of short stories that Steve has gathered over decades of following Jesus into the darkness. You can't help but be encouraged as Steve shares his experiences with a God who is always on the move, rescuing lives, and surprising us with his miraculous, extravagant love. In fact, if it's okay, I'd like to just read an excerpt from the book right now just to give you a flavor of this type of stories that are in here. This is from chapter 8, entitled, When God Broke In. When I'm on my own, I like the unexpected. I'm made for spontaneity, but I readily confess that when responsible for a group of people, I prefer to have a well-defined plan and to know what is happening. So as we headed two hours north from Manila, I was aware of a growing discomfort. We were headed to Pampanga, an area in the Philippines totally new to us, working with people whom we had not previously met. As our bus drove the last mile toward where we were about to set up our mobile medical clinic, the signs of serious poverty were obvious. This community was known for prostitution, drugs, and gambling, the kind of place that found its energy at night and, except for the children who seemed to be everywhere, slept during the day. With this in mind, I expected a slow start to the clinic. I was wrong. As we approached the site, we couldn't even get near the courtyard because of the press of people waiting impatiently. There was a problem. Contrary to our arrangements, nothing had been set up. After much shouting, jostling, and more than a little frustration, we finally cleared out the courtyard and were able to organize tables, chairs, assessment areas, and a pharmacy. An hour later, an already tired and rather jangled team was ready to see the first patient. While our medical and prayer teams began to care for the people, I walked among the crowds to offer reassurance and to lower the level of anxiety that could be so easily felt. So often, and for good reason, the poor live with a deep fear of missing out. In the early afternoon, a seven-year-old boy named Dennis came to me with his cousin tagging behind him. He proclaimed, Hey, mister, this is my cousin Angelica. She's nine. She can't hear anything. She's never heard anything. You need to pray for her. This was no shy request. This was a command born of total confidence. So I prayed for Angelica's ears to open. Who would say no to this boy? Nothing happened. I prayed again. Still nothing. 
After a third time, I sent Dennis away, but encouraged him to come back later. I felt confused, frustrated, and deeply sad for Angelica. After all, I know that Jesus loves to heal. This boy had come with obvious faith, and I had prayed, fully expecting her ears to open, as I had seen the Lord do so many times before. Later in the afternoon, I took a few team members and some local pastors out on the streets. Everyone we prayed for received healing. Some of the team prayed for an older man who had not been able to stand for over four years. First, the pain in his legs, hips, and back left completely. Then he stood, and after a moment... He took his first steps. A crowd immediately gathered, eager for prayer. A mother's two children were instantly healed, and she excitedly told everyone her story. Another woman's chest pain left. A woman who'd experienced pain in her shoulder for four months left with no pain, but not before opening her heart to Jesus. As team members prayed on the streets, numerous people came to Christ. At one point, two women worked their way to the front of the small crowd that had gathered in an alleyway to ask us if they too could invite Jesus into their lives. It was a joy to lead them in a salvation prayer. Like everyone, I rejoiced to see so many healed and saved. But even in the midst of this heavenly breakthrough, one question remained. What about Angelica? Our team came back excited that evening, prepared to conduct an outdoor celebration on the street with music, preaching, and praying for the sick. As we approached the site, it was clear that something was wrong. Where were the people? Where was the local worship band? Where was the sound system? As we stood waiting on the side of the road, children began to gather round us. Within a couple of minutes, there was a crowd of them, excitedly anticipating that something special was about to happen on their poor street. I confess that instead of feeling excitement, once again I was fighting frustration as I saw my plans to preach the gospel to the people of this community dissolve away. Some of our team, better able to appreciate the moment than I, began to dance and sing with the children. In the meantime, Someone showed up with a microphone and speaker. By now, there were about 100 very enthusiastic, happy children. Finally, it dawned on me. God was wonderfully at work in this street. It just looked different than what I had envisioned. I asked two of our team, Cha-Cha and Rebecca, who's a gifted puppeteer, to talk to the kids using the microphone. Before long, AJ, Rebecca's puppet friend who seemed more human by the moment, and Cha-Cha were telling the children about Jesus. Nearly all of the children raised their hands to receive him, with A.J. leading the prayer. But the Lord had saved the best until last. As we began to pray for the children, Angelica's little cousin Dennis once again pulled her by the hand toward me. Hey, mister, you pray for my cousin now? Just as I was about to pray, I sensed the Lord directing me to ask Rebecca to come over, which she did, with A.J. As Rebecca prayed, suddenly Angelica's startled eyes opened wide. Something was happening. Angelica's head began to turn this way and that as she heard the sound of people speaking all around her. When Rebecca and I repeatedly spoke and snapped our fingers behind her head, Angelica heard every sound. A moment later, she spoke her first words. Now Angelica and Dennis were calling back and forth to each other, stepping further apart each time, laughing with unbridled joy. I will never forget that sight. If there were any dry eyes, I certainly didn't see them. Later, a very excited team drove home, thanking God for what he had done. More than just a miracle of healing, a little girl's entire life had just been transformed in a moment. Among my experiences in miraculous healing all over the world, perhaps none has stayed with me more than what the Lord did that night. 
The love and devotion of that little boy for his cousin and his unrelenting quest for her to receive healing continues to teach me not to quit and to choose to live with the expectation that God is about to break in at any moment. So that's just one of the stories. There's 35 of them in the journey. Uh, Just a fantastic little five-minute read to bring encouragement to your day uh, and remind you of the activity of heaven that's happening all over the world. Uh, I strongly encourage you to grab that. You can go to impactnations.org and click on the shop button uh, or visit Amazon. You can find it there too. And now let's return to Steve's teaching on John chapter 3. Wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone. Say everyone. <laughs> Born of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? We live as if that's an option. We live, well, I can become that kind of, if I want to, but I don't have to. He's saying, everyone born of the Spirit. And he uses this image, uh, and it's really a a kind of a fun image, really, pneuma, because it's the very same word that means wind and means spirit. And actually, pneuma, this is the only place in the Gospels where pneuma is translated wind, which is just an aside that was a freebie. Um, and so they're using a play on words and secondly he's saying so it is everyone who is born of the spirit so it's he's coming John's saying it again and again and again you've got to be born of the heavenly realm you've got to be born from above born of the spirit and it means being led by God the Holy Spirit into new ways of seeing And if we truly see in new ways, we will live in new ways. New ways of understanding who He is. The Pharisees, we tend to see them as the cowboys with the black hats. Those are the bad guys. They weren't the bad guys. They were people who were living as devoutly as they knew. But they were living based on there's knowledge, there's the law. And if we live by the law, then we understand God. And so Jesus, of course, totally messed them up. And so, (coughs) pardon me, excuse me. Being led by the Holy Spirit is being led into whole new understandings of who He is. I've been walking with the Lord 41 years. And personally speaking, um, you know, I've had a few conversations with Rosalie and a few others. Uh, who he is has gotten bigger in the last three or four years than in the previous, whatever the math is, 37 years. And it is not about learning more and more facts. It is being willing to let the Spirit begin to break down some walls, because I'm sure you've got them too, I've got walls. Ways of seeing, like Nicodemus. We know that, and yet... John chapter 1 says, you don't know. So this means, if we're going to follow the the, the wind of the Spirit, if we're going to step into new ways of understanding who He is, it means dying to our need to be in control. And frankly, dying to our need um, to prove ourselves. I don't know about you, I always fight the needing to prove myself, legitimize myself. But if we're moving with the Spirit, it's a very different proposal. 
And the practical challenge here is Jesus inviting us to a life of beginning to trust our hearing. Trust that we can hear the wind. You hear the sound of the wind, he says. But you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. But he never said you don't even hear the wind. He says you do hear it. You hear it. But you can't contain it. You can't say this is what I know. This is how it works. <coughs> uh, I love John 10.27. My sheep hear my voice. That's a wonderful, wonderful promise. So what he's calling us into is a life of, of spiritual dependency. A life of intuition. Instead of a life of certainty. And it means risk. And I would say it means an insecurity and a vulnerability in our walk. In the life of the Spirit, we need each other. We need a community to help us discern. To help us discern. You guys know that the vast majority, probably 85% of the time in Paul's letters you read you, it's plural, it's you guys. That, that as... Uh, John Wesley said, there's nothing so unchristian as a solitary Christian. It's because of the life of the Spirit. It's because we need to discern together. We need one another. <clears throat> and the fourth thing I see in this passage is as we, as we look at the Gospels and we look at Acts, begin to look at what the wind of the Spirit blowing looks like. Because it'll take you to a different country than you thought you were going to, or a different city than you thought you were going to, or it is letting him direct us. But I find a great comfort, he says, you hear the sound of the pneuma, the wind, the spirit. Okay? So, we'll go on to verse 11, and this is fascinating, because, uh, because of John's a prologue, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? That whole, that whole Trinitarian uh, framework for John's Gospel. And look at what it says in verse 11. Did you ever notice that? We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. This is, this is again, John say, presenting us a Trinitarian gospel. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're inseparable, and I think we need this revelation of the triune God. If anybody is at all interested, I, I just finished writing a series of, uh, of eight articles on the mystery of Christ. Uh, it's on our website, and it's on Facebook, and, and two of the last three are all about having a Trinitarian understanding of God and of Christ. Okay? That's an aside. So now the last verse, he says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This verse has been just rolling around in me and alive in me for months and months and months. He's saying, up till now, all I've done is tell you how life works here on earth in the kingdom. I want you to understand heavenly things. According to the church fathers in the, in the first uh, five centuries of the church, <coughs> the heavenly things referred to the mysteries of the eternal Son, 
referred to the communion among the Godhead, the Son's eternal existence before time began, God's eternal plan for His creation. And another night we can talk about why I don't think Jesus coming to earth was plan B. It wasn't a rescue mission. Um, if you want to make notes, I won't take the time now, but you can read John's prologue, uh, verses uh, 1 to 3, uh, Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. He is the exact expression of the Father. And Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So to wrap this up, like Nicodemus, Jesus calls us to move from the natural to the spiritual. He calls us to lift up our eyes, to ask the Son to reveal heavenly things. I want to encourage you to do that. Ask Him to reveal heavenly things. I'm convinced that a revelation of the true nature of the Son and of the Trinity will transform our lives and will, will empower our witness. Like, like nothing else. So, there's the end of a quick run-through. It's hard to go this quick, isn't it? But, but can you, are you beginning to see what I shared with you last week? That, that John is very specific and very particular in how he is structuring this gospel. Just before we go on, are there any questions or comments on, on chapter 3? And then as a big surprise, I thought we'd do chapter 4. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Right, so, Nicodemus came from a very structured order. Where yes. He was controlled by everything. Do you think he struggled with this because the Holy Spirit is uncontrollable? And he was moving into a place where he didn't have control? I think absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, he was struggling exactly with that. And frankly... That is where religion struggles, because we want to know, we want our systems. But if, I love the way John, because <coughs> John brings Nicodemus up with the Sanhedrin when they're all running down Jesus, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, we don't do this to, you know, with, without a, a proper witness and so forth. And then at the end, he's with Joseph of Arimathea, did you ever notice that? He's with them with the burial. So we see him coming through a very difficult process. He was trained. Pharisees knew every verse of the Old Testament. You could wake him up at 2 in the morning and, you know, and say, Ezekiel 41, verse 9. Oh, well, they didn't have verses then. They just get started in Ezekiel and you'd have to turn him off when he got to 41, 9. But um, absolutely steeped in this incredible paradigm shift. Wait a minute. You're saying we don't know? You're saying that we can't be sure that in, instead of being secure in our knowledge, even secure in the law, Torah, that we, we will learn to follow the, the Spirit, unpredictable Spirit? And that's very disconcerting. It was disconcerting 2,000 years ago, and I promise you it's disconcerting now, too. Any other? Yes. I think it's it's kind of coming from an evangelical like where I came from and moving it. It's kind of that kind of step into the spirit. You had I had I feel like I had a really good foundation of of the Bible and Jesus and God and and the Holy Spirit in its place, but not you know 
And so it's kind of a process to move into. Yeah. So you're leaving some of the structure, some of the assumptions, some of the safe places behind. I really believe it's why we need each other. We need to discern. We need prophetic. That's why Paul says, don't despise prophetic utterance. We need to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying collectively. Any other questions or I'll go on to the next? Yes. I just wanted to say, um, Jack Taylor said the other night, the Bible isn't a book, it's a voice. And so that just sort of came alive to me as you were talking. Oh, that's excellent. You know, and to think of it like that. Yeah. The Bible isn't a book, it's a voice. That's, that's absolutely a wonderful, wonderful way to put it. Absolutely. And I promise you, I, I spent my first 10 years after I got saved with, you've got to learn the principles. Mm-hmm. And if you do this, God will do that. Because right. he's got to obey his principles. And it turned this into an owner's manual. You get a new car, you get an owner's manual. It isn't. I love that. I've always said it's a love letter, but but yes. to hear that, it's the, a voice. It is the voice. That's terrific. That's absolutely terrific. But it is very, if we really get a hold of this, um, you know, I said, I said at a conference we did a couple weeks ago, I said, Jesus calls us to follow him. And he's on the move. The Holy Spirit, clearly, we got this example, is on the move. And so we can't stand still if we're going to follow him. Otherwise, it's, it, we're, it's just theory. You can't, as I've said before, you can't go somewhere till you leave somewhere. And I think that's what uh, John 3 8 is talking to us, to us about. Shall I? Cookie, yes? Um. <laughs> Okay, so I'd like to understand that you're saying that when an individual accepts Christ, he's born again as the experience, that the Holy Spirit indwells them in water baptism. Is that what you said? Uh, I did say that. And you were listening carefully. Oh, yeah. I believe the Holy Spirit, when we are, when we are born again, when we are converted which I do not think is synonymous with praying a sinner's prayer. It may be, but it isn't necessarily. And uh, I believe absolutely the Spirit comes. But I also believe with all my heart that there is a, there is a, I don't know what word to use. Because uh, if I'm saying He's already indwelling us, then is it like a second indwelling? I don't know. All I know is, 40 years of watching, I believe baptism is not a ritual. Just like I don't think the Lord suffers a ritual. There's an, there's an exchange, there's a, a transaction with the Holy Spirit that happens at that time. But I'm glad you clarified that. Because yes, I think when you're born again, the, the Spirit comes. But I, I believe also there's this infilling at baptism. And that's why again and again and again, in all four Gospels and into Acts, you've got to repent, you've got to believe, you've got to be baptized. And it's really, really important. And I, I think that we tend to put it off a little bit. Personally, um, I believe that baptism should happen as soon as, you're, as soon as you receive Christ. I think we have lots of examples in the book of Acts. Um, and church history, for the first hundred years, it was always that way. Um, and then they began to delay it. So, Yes, sir. Alright, um, just to kind of <clears throat> continue on in the baptism vein, 
I know that we do a lot of baptism of children, and uh, and then people say that, oh, well, if you're baptized with a child, that means that you're a Christian. But it's kind of like that trifecta of repent, believe, and be baptized. You know, one yeah. doesn't come for, you know, you don't do just baptism and say, okay, now you're a Christian. It's, no. I don't think... Uh, Hector just asked for the sake of the video. What about child baptism? And uh, if we're baptized with child, does that mean we're automatically Christian? And even that term is interesting. If you're saying, does that automatically mean we're born again? I would say no. Uh, if we are... if we are, it, it's, it's like a dedication uh, that goes back to the temple, right? The dedication to the temple. Babies? Are you talking about children or babies? Children, yeah, um, pre-believers. Yeah, yeah, pre-believers. You know, I, I don't, I don't actually get very bent out of shape over that one, um, but I personally believe and recommend that when people make a decision for Christ, when they that shift happens inside them, get baptized. Thanks for joining us. I don't know about you, but that's left me wanting even more uh, about baptism and such. Uh, be sure to tune in a few episodes from now. Uh, we'll do a question and answer period because I've got lots of questions about this baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you do too. Uh, if you do have questions, you can email them to podcast at impactnations.com. In the meantime, uh, be sure to visit impactnations.org to learn more about how the kingdom of God is transforming lives around the world. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week.